0: Right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome. It's good to have a handful of people here in the house, some of our staff and just a handful of guests. And for everybody who's watching online, hey, welcome. It's great to have you. So thankful to come into your homes and be a part of what's happening. Just want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. Again, we are looking forward to just a few short weeks away they are going to be back in the building. We know there's still going to be some trepidation, but for those who can be here, when you get here, we're excited And for all of those who are first-time guests, we just want to say again, welcome from wherever you're watching. Uh, It's so, uh, so valuable to us that you've taken the time to tune in. We were talking this past week of people who tune in literally from all over this nation, state after state after state. We have groups of people who are watching our services, being blessed by what God's doing here at Faith Church, and also around the world. One of the things I believe is driving that interest is because we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. We just believe with all of our heart in the midst of a very chaotic season, not just now, but man, we go through brokenness and hurt. We have questions and we believe that Jesus is the answer to all that. And so whoever you are, wherever you are, listen, man, just open your heart up, allow God to meet you where you are to be the greatest thing that you've ever done. And for all of us that have already opened our hearts up, man, can we make some noise because we believe that Jesus is that hope. Well, we are in today, uh, week number two of this series we started last week entitled Missing the Point. Missing the Point is, you know, we've all been in these conversations with our friends or family members where we're having a discussion or having a debate. And kind of we present our story, we tell our story, we present our side. And then the person responds, and we can tell by the response that, like, they missed the point. What we were trying to get across to them, like, it totally went over their head. And uh, it's not only happened to us, but what we've been talking about in this series is that we have missed the point of some things that God shares. There are things that God declares and God says. There's stories that he wants us to know, facts he wants us to have, revelation that he wants us to impart. But unfortunately, the things that he said for many of us, oftentimes, has gone right over our heads. We've missed the point. Uh, A prime example of that was last week. We talked about week number one. Uh, We talked about the creation story. In fact, it is probably one of the most familiar verses in all the Bible, and it's even familiar in, uh, in literature. It's Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And basically, the conversation we had last week is immediately when that verse is given, it puts scientists and philosophers and Christians in a whirlwind because immediately people want to take up sides. They want to take their heels, and they want to argue about, okay, well, like, when did it happen? Was it, was it billions of years ago? Was it millions of years ago? Was it thousands of years ago? People not only want to talk about when, but they want to talk about how, like what mechanism did God use to bring creation into existence? And I think when we start having those conversations, I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. I'm not saying there's not any value in having the when and how conversation, but at the end of the day, the point is not when or how, but why. We have to dig in, like, why did God create us? And so if you didn't tune in last week, I'd encourage you to lean back into that message. And here's why this is a passionate topic of mine is because I believe that people are losing their faith fighting battles they don't need to win. We're heading into an unorthodox but a college season, and every year young college, uh, young men and young women go off to college campuses, and they lose their faith sitting in classes as professors dismantle their faith because we hold grounds and we believe things that we don't really have to necessarily believe to believe God's word, to stand on God's word, to be saved, to be a Christ follower. Um, There are a lot of people, unfortunately, go through the deconstruction of their faith because they were raised believing that this world is only 10,000 years old. And then they go through some biology class or some scientist, some science class, and they're clearly shown that this world is, is not thousands of years old. And all of a sudden, they're wet, wondering, like, what can I believe? Well, you don't have to believe one or the other. I believe either is an orthodox position. What you need to know is that there was a beginning, and God is the beginner. God created it all, and he created you. You were created with a purpose, so you have a purpose. Let's go. That's what we need to believe. And so, some of these stories, again, we wrestle with them and we hold these positions. And I think it's important we lean into the big points. And so, today, we're going to lean into a really big story in the Old Testament. It's probably more controversial than Genesis 1 1. And we're going to talk about Noah's flood. Noah's flood. And again, as soon as we talk about Noah's flood, right, depending on how you were raised, some of you get little pictures of, like, the little plastic ark, and there's, like, two elephants and two giraffes, and, like, there's, like, eight plastic weeble wobbles on it. Anybody old enough to remember the weeble wobbles? Come on, baby, weeble wobble, but they don't fall down. You know, but these little plastic figures, and, but really, we're raised, and we start wrestling with it, and, you know, did it really happen? Was it really this catastrophic global flood and some people will hear that and lean into that, and then they go off to school, and they might take some geology class. And I, listen, I just, I just want to make this really clear. Don't, don't write me letters saying, Pastor, you don't believe the Bible, because I'm not giving you my position. I'm just telling you, if you're taking a position, you're probably missing the point, because the point isn't the argument. There's a much bigger story to be told in the story of Noah and the flood. Now, let me just lean into this just for a little bit. When the Bible talks about that all the earth, and you can read it over and over, this phrase is used repeatedly in Genesis chapter 6 where Noah's flood story is told, or it begins in Genesis 6. It actually uh, takes up several chapters. And you'll read this phrase, and if some of you want to dig into this conversation, you can. You'll read this phrase, uh, all the earth or all earth or all flesh. All the earth or all flesh. The word all is the word coal. Everybody say coal. So I'll just leaning in with me. All the earth, the word earth or land is Eretz. And so we hear that God flooded all the earth or all Eretz, coal arets, and And we're like, okay, there was this global flood. Well, some people believe it was just a local flood. Well, if they believe it's just a local flood and not a global flood, can they really love Jesus? Do they really trust the word? Are they, a, are they come on, like, are they, are they going off the rails? Are they, are they a progressive? Are they a liberal? Do they? Well, you know, maybe. But one of the things that we have to do as, as people who understand God's word is we have to lean into his language and how he uses it. And so when you read this term, co uh, eretz, all the earth, or kol basar, all flesh, that God flooded all the earth and destroyed all flesh. Did he, just, did he flood every inch of the planet and destroy every, every, every flesh except Noah and his family? Maybe. But let me just give you a couple examples where this term, and you can do a simple word search if you're kind of geeky like this, where you can search the term all the earth. And here's one, Genesis 2.11 this is, the Bible tells us there were four rivers that went through the Garden of Eden. One of them was called Bashan. Genesis 2.11. The name of the first is Bashan, And it is the one which skirts the whole land or the whole earth of Havilah. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think we're supposed to believe that the river took up every square inch of this city, Havilah? Is that what it means? There's no way that, that's not what it means. It's not saying the river took up every square inch of the city. It's just saying it maneuvered throughout the city. So there are places where all the earth doesn't mean exclusivity. It doesn't mean totality. It doesn't mean every inch. Let me give you another one, Genesis 13, 9. This is where um, Abraham and Lot, they're splitting differences about who can have what property. And finally, Abraham tells Lot to go get his own property. Some of you are familiar with this story. And here's what Abraham says to his nephew Lot. Is not the whole earth or the whole land, this is the word kolorets, is not the whole land before you? Well, was Abraham saying, you can see the whole earth? No. I mean, there's, you can't even believe that looking at it. Here's another. This is a great example. Joshua eleven twenty three. 23. This is the story. Joshua is the general of the nation of Israel. They're going into the land of Canaan, the promised land. They're, they're marching through the land, taking the land that God's given them. And Je- Joshua eleven twenty three says this. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all the Lord had said to Moses. Now, you would read that and you'd say, well, he took the whole land. Well, did he? Because you go on, the next chapter through the end of the book, is, it starts with this. The very next chapter starts with that there were Canaanites still in the land. And the rest of the book is about them going in and fighting to possess the rest. Well, it said it took the whole land. Well, what I'm telling you is when the Bible says that God flooded the whole earth, yeah, maybe he flooded the whole earth. But I'm telling you, there's room linguistically to say that, yeah, maybe God flooded the whole earth, or maybe God only flooded part of the earth. Let's talk about all flesh. The Bible says he destroyed all flesh. Well, here's one, Joel 2.28, kol basar, all flesh. It shall come to pass afterwards. Come on, we got any Pentecostal charismatic people in the house? Y'all know where we're going with this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on kol basar, all flesh. Well, is God saying that everybody's going to be filled with the spirit? That horses and dogs and every... No, this is, this is a promise to those who turn to Jesus will have the ability to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's obviously not talking about every single flesh. Some of you are getting mad, I can tell. Some of you are like, he doesn't, he doesn't believe. No, 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 you're missing the point. I'm just telling you, you don't have to land on six days or you don't have to land, learn, you don't have to land on literal days or age days. You don't have to land on old earth. or you know, What you have to land is that there is a creator who created you. And you don't have to land on a local flood or a global flood. What you have to land is what we're going to lean to, and it's the main point. But let me just give you, a, let me just give you another one. 1 Samuel 14, 25. This is referring to this, this group, this army who was hungry, and it says this, Now all the people of the land, all the people, Kolbasar, all flesh, came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. Are we to believe that the author meant us to believe that every single person, young and old, little babies crawled into the forest? Well, no, but it uses the exact same phrase, kol all flesh, that's used in Genesis 6 to to describe Noah's flood. Let me give you one. It's actually in Noah's flood, so you can see this. Genesis chapter 8, verse 5 and verse 9. Genesis 5, 8. Now, you all know the story. God tells him a flood's coming. We're going to read it in a second, but a flood's coming. He builds an ark. He gets on an ark. The rains come, the deluge comes, the boat begins to float, and it covers all the earth. The water covers everything, even the mountaintops. And then, listen to this, it says, verse 5, Genesis chapter 8, verse 5, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, everybody here read this with me so I know you're with me. The tops of the mountains were seen. So was was there some land, was there some earth visible now? Was there a place on the earth right now, according to this verse, that was no longer underwater? Wave me if you all see that. Okay, next, verse 9. Remember he starts sending out birds? Verse 9, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Colerettes. Well, which is it? Were the mountains under the water or not? Well, it was, and then it receded, but it says, my point is this. You can have a debate, and you can have a discussion. You can believe in a local flood or a global flood, and you can still love Jesus, and you can still stand firm on God's word because the point of the story... Is not whether it was a local flood or a global flood or how big the ship was or how big a cubit is, or how many animals made it on the ark. We are arguing things that, man, I love to argue as much as anybody in this room or anybody watching online. But if you argue the wrong thing and you lose the fight, you'll lose your faith. What we need to stand on is the point that God wants us to get from this thing. Arguing the wrong point is missing the main point. And so what's the point? What is the point of Noah's flood? The point of Noah's flood is our sin ultimately grieves God, but God's grace covers sin. The point of the story of a flood coming, this cataclysmic flood, is that our sin grieves God and God's grace covers sin. Genesis chapter 6, here's a part of the story. It says this, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now, let me just stop there. It's it's crazy how, and I, I'm 48, so I've seen this happen, how we've reached these places in, in human history as far as it pertains to our little, little peace as long as we're here, and we think, man, it's never been worse than it is right now. Well, because your perspective is, 10 years 20 years 30 years 40 years. I'm telling you I don't care how bad you think it is now It's been worse and right here. God is looking at it and basically he says everywhere. He looked all he could see was evil Verse 6 So the Lord was sorry That he had ever made them and put them on the earth it broke his heart And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals, the scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry that I made them. Verse 8, everybody shout this with me, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Now, Genesis chapter 6, the reason it's such a powerful story is it brings us face to face with the judgment of God. And as soon as you start talking about the judgment of God, unfortunately, God gets this incredibly bad rap that he is this capricious, violent, pouty eight-year-old that just kicks and screams at his creation when he doesn't get his way. That God just has this magnifying glass and we're just a bunch of ants and he capriciously burns us and that's not the picture you get. In fact, even when God looks at the wickedness of all of his creation, he says this, that it grieved him and that it made him sorry. The first thing you have to understand is, again, we just did a whole message on this a few weeks ago. I want you to know that God doesn't just have great power. God has great passion. We, you need to know that he feels something about you. He feels about who you are. He feels about what you're going through. He's passionate about your hurt, passionate about your pain, passionate about your brokenness. He cares about us. And so when God looks at the wickedness of this world, he doesn't just capriciously decide to judge it before he judges it, which we're going to get into. The first thing he does is he feels deeply sorry and hurt and brokenhearted about what's going on in his creation. So, I want you to know something. If you're in this room and you're watching online and you're off the rails and you're living a life that you know dishonors God, that you know it's leading in a bad direction, I want you to know, man, that ultimately at the end of the day, man, God is passionate about who you are. God, and you might have been raised in a church that somehow you think God hates you now or God doesn't want anything to do with you or you're just constantly underneath the judgment of God. I want you to hear this today. If you don't hear anything else, I say, God is passionate about who you are and what you're going through, regardless of what it is and how you got there. He loves you and He died, sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus, to bring you back, to be the prodigal that could always come home at any time you want, and you're invited today. So before we lean in too hard, maybe on the judgment of God, let's talk about some other people who are judgy, shall we? (laughs) I mean, because like, you know, again, you, you start talking about God or you start reading the Old Testament, it's like, you know, man, God is so judgy. Well, I know some people who are judgy. You. You, me, everybody I know is judgmental. And if you don't, you're saying you're not judgmental, you're lying. Because everybody is judgmental about everything. Think about how judgmental we are. We, we judge everything. We, ju- we go to the grocery store. You see people fondling the fruit. Come on, what are ju- is, this, is, this, is this ready to go? Right? Is this the right watermelon? Is this ripe? Is this right? What are you doing? You're making a judgment call. We judge everything. We judge, if we go into a restaurant, we judge the quality of food. We judge, we judge the service, right? We judge based on how we tip. What are we doing? We're making a judgment. Good job, bad job. We jump on Yelp and we may leave a review. Why? What are we doing? Because we're judgmental people. We judge everything. We don't judge just things like that. We judge if you're dating somebody. When you date somebody, hopefully you're making a judgment call. First of all, does this person love Jesus? Is this person right for me? Can I commit my life to this person? What are we doing? We're making judgment calls. We judge other drivers on the road. Come on, anybody else? Like, you are the... Like, I should just wear a crown and a robe when I drive. Like, I'm the judge of everybody. I'm trying to get better. I think at this point it's a lost cause and I'm too old. Does anybody else talk out loud to other drivers? What are you doing? Let's go, junior, to to Today. Scoot over. Where's this blinker at? Like, I mean, I talk out loud. Well, I'm not the only one. You're the same way. What are you doing? You're judging people. You're judging their driving skills. You're judging their driving ability. There are police officers on the road, and not not that you all would know anything about it, but police officers are there judging people's driving. If they feel like you've broken the law, if they judge what you've done is wrong, they will pull you over and cite you. Why? Because they're judgmental people, because everybody is judgmental. I'll tell you one of the silliest things I judge people on. Are you ready? I judge people based on their handshake. On. If you're a girl and you shake my hand like a dude, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and if you're a dude and you shake my hand like a girl, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, And you can judge me for judging you about how you handshake. I'm just telling you, I do immediately, based on how you shake my hand, I put you in a category. <laughs> so next time you shake my hand, you better bring it. Come ready. That's what I'm saying. Right, I mean, I don't know what you judge people on, but we ju- we're judging politics right now. We're judging Biden. We're judging Trump. We're judging their character. You don't know his character. You don't know his heart. You don't know you you've been you know and you believe what, what news has told you. You you know what CNN's told you, and you know what Fox News has told you, and all their spin. We don't know. We don't know these people. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a judgment, but I'm saying when you walk into the voting booth in November, you're going to mark a box based on your judgment. My point is we judge everything all the time. We judge job candidates. We, we, judge, we judge line judges when we're watching sports on TV. We judge the judges. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how judgmental we are? And then all of a sudden, man, we look at God. Where did this judgment come from? Where did this, this innate... Drive. I know we live in a society and a cultural world that tells you judging is not popular and you shouldn't do it. But nobody stopped doing it. We just quit talking about it publicly so we all convince each other we don't do it. But we still do it. It's just not politically correct to say we do it so we act like we don't. Where did this come from? This... I know we're going to talk about God in a second, but let's just keep us on the plate for a minute. Where did this come from, this this thing that all of us do, we judge? Well, first of all, we've been made in the image of our creator, who we're going to see in a second, and we've already seen from Genesis 6. He judges. We've been made in his image, and we judge. Not only are we made in the, the image of our creator, did you know consistently and constantly throughout the word of God, specifically the New Testament, we're encouraged to be judgmental? Oh, this, see... God encourages, number one, by the way, to judge yourself. Judge yourself to see if, whether you still be in the faith, to judge yourself. You're encouraged to judge yourself. Every time you take communion, you know what you're doing is you're celebrating what Jesus did and you're judging yourself. What do I need to repent of? Some of you, some of you have an out, a, a 30, 60, 90, some of you got 120 days behind in the rears with God. You need to catch up through repentance. What we got, so we're encouraged to judge ourselves. Did you know we're encouraged not to judge people outside of the church? Paul encouraged us to judge each other in the church. Oh, it just got real now. Paul tells us that. Paul tells us that you're to judge not pastors preaching, but we're to judge false teachers. It's funny. We judge whether we like them, how funny they are, how, how charismatic that speaker is. What you're to judge is how biblically accurate are they? Are they true to God's word? We're to judge false teachers. So my point is that that we are judgmental, and we're judgmental because we've been made in the image of our creator. We've been encouraged throughout the word of God to be judgmental. Now, when I say be judgmental, it's clear we're not to do it hypocritically or harshly. If we're going to judge anybody or anything, we need to judge them in the same way we want to be judged. I don't know about you, but I want to be judged with a whole lot of grace. But we're called to be judgmental. And watch this. This is so important. Not only do we don't just judge, but we want justice. We just don't judge people, but when we judge somebody and we view them as wrong or corrupt, immediately there is this sense that we want justice. If we've been wrong, if somebody cut us off on the road, we want to cut them off. And some of you do it, it's called road rage. You should see a counselor for it. (laughs) But if you don't do it, anybody here still feel like you want to do it? Like. If I didn't live in this city, I might just hit you in the bumper. (laughs) I mean, there's something in us, again, that that we feel that way. Where did that come from? Where is that sense of justice? Right now, what's happening in our nation, what's happening in our country is because there is this sense that that a group of people in our nation, a large group, and understandably so, has viewed something, has judged something, has judged it as injustice, and they demand justice. When we're looking at people like George Floyd, I don't care where you stand, on what I'm saying is there's a group of people that have judged that, said it was unjust, and they demand justice. Breonna Taylor, police officer, broke in the house, shot the wrong woman, and killed her. I'm just telling you that there's something in us when we watch news stories like that, when we watch what's happening on the political landscape, every one of us in this room, everybody watching online, there is something in us that we make a, we make a, a moral determination. If we determine something to be immoral, we demand justice. Where did it come from that we we don't only want judgment, but we want justice. Again, it's because we have been made in the image of God. What's more crazy is here, watch this. Has anybody, have you ever been watching, maybe following a story where somebody does something wrong and you follow the story all the way out until you hear what sentence they got, they got from the courts? And rarely do we ever say, yeah, that's, that's appropriate." Like, we'll watch this really violent offender or someone that's had multiple DUIs and finally killed somebody in a car accident driving drunk again, or God forbid, some horrific child molester, or somebody that's done something incredibly atrocious, and we'll view it. And watch this. Oftentimes, we will view and we will judge what the judge has determined the sentence, and we'll determine that's too lenient. Should have got more. I can't believe it. Man, he got off with a year. Did y'all, did y'all see the, the, it happened, I read the story, I believe this this last week, and I don't know how he was sentenced already, but there was a guy who, through sex trafficking, had somehow found, found this young boy and was selling him and got caught in the middle of selling this young boy to somebody else. Was caught sex trafficking. Got a year and a half. There's something in me It's like, that's, that's not right. He should get more than that. Well, how much more? I don't just More. And so there's something in us when we watch court cases unravel, the judgment in us that wants the justice for immorality or a lack of ethics or something we disagree with, sometimes we view that judgment as too lenient, and sometimes we view it as too harsh. Have you ever noticed that? Like, we'll find out what somebody, and we're like, man, murderers don't go to prison that long. Well, I want you just to lean into that for a second, because that, that judgment in us that demands justice and when we determine what we think is just, that's too lenient. No, that's too harsh. That's too harsh, but no, that's too lenient. Well, who are you to judge? What makes you think that your judgment and your demand for justice is truly just? Well, I can tell you where it comes, the roots of it come from, because we have been made in the image of our Creator. And He's called us. But we are imperfect. Imperfect in our judgment, and we are imperfect in our call for justice. If you're taking notes, but God is the perfect judge because he is the perfect standard. He has perfect judgment, and he executes perfect justice. Let me say that again. God is the perfect judge. Abraham calls God the judge of the whole earth. He is the perfect judge. We judge, but we we judge imperfectly. God is the perfect judge because he is the perfect standard HE HAS PERFECT JUDGMENT AND EXECUTES PERFECT JUSTICE. When I say God is the perfect judge, it's for all the reasons I just listed. First of all, he's the perfect standard. We are imperfect. We are immoral. We miss the mark. We are sinners, which literally means to miss the mark. But God is perfect. God is holy. There is no shadow of turning in him. He is the perfect standard. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, right, that, that we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Jesus is the glorious standard, and all of us have missed the mark. But there is one who is perfect in everything he sees and does and thinks, and it is the God, the creator, Of heaven and earth. He is perfect. He's perfect. He's the perfect judge again because he brings perfect, he understands perfect judgment. When we judge something, we don't know all the details. We know what we've been told and we know what we think. Did you know that God knows every conversation? Yeah, hear that conversation too. God knows every thought you think, the ones you hide, the ones you slough off, the ones you deny. He knows every thought you think. He knows every intent of your heart. He knows the stuff that you didn't do but you wanted to do. He knows the intent of your heart, the thoughts in your mind, the actions of your life. If nobody else ever sees it or witnesses and nobody else on this planet judges you, there is a judge who, have a, who has a perfect judgment because he's got a perfect view of your life. Nothing misses his sight. The Bible calls God all kinds of different names to help us understand his character. And one of the names of God is Jehovah Rophi. He's the Lord, our our healer. Uh, He's the Lord, our righteousness. He's the Lord, our strength. But there's one towards the end of the Old Testament that says uh, he he is the Lord who sees. He's the Lord who sees. Now, on one hand, that ought to make us just this awareness i if you ever look over your shoulder before you do something, you shouldn't be worried about the person who isn't seeing you or is seeing you. You should be worried about, aware of the one who always sees you. But on the flip side, you need to know maybe everybody else missed the injustice that was done to you, but the perfect judge saw what was done to you. If you think someone else got away with something who hurt you, harmed you, took advantage of you, I want you to know there's a perfect judge who witnessed it in all its totality. And he is a God of judgment and he will bring justice. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 says this that God will judge us for everything we do including every secret thing whether good or bad. So there's this very clear history. You go all the way through the New Testament. It didn't just happen to Noah and all of the people who lived at that day who were exceedingly wicked and everything they thought and everything they did. But God makes it clear, and we see it in the way we judge that God is a perfect judge and He is going to judge. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's appointed in a man wants to die and then the judgment. And we get intimidated by that. We get frustrated at God's judgment. We get upset that God is a God of judgment. But I want you to know something: the God we serve is not just a God of judgment. He is a God of grace. What differentiates the story of Noah and the ark isn't that, again, God is the capricious judge just wiping out all of creation. It starts with a broken heart, and it ends, the story ends with, there was a man who found favor with the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Everybody shall favor. You know how you get favor? You know how you earn favor? You don't. It's just somebody gives it to you. And so, you, what you have to understand is the story of Noah's Ark isn't just a story of the judgment of God; it is much more a story about the grace of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. If you're taking notes, let me right give you this: our sin grieves God, but God's grace covers sin. Man, I'm telling you, God hates sin, but the wonderful thing about the God we serve is He gives us grace to cover our sin. Ephesians two eight: God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. See, when, when you look at the, the comparison, you need to see that God judged extensively. But he didn't judge just arbitrarily. There was a world that got judged, and there was a man in his family who didn't get judged. And no one in his family didn't get the judgment that came across the rest of the Of the flesh whether locally or globally is not the point but he didn't get the judgment not because he was a good person not because he did enough good deeds just because God gave him favor which means when we look at this sin sick broken hurting world that is in a downward moral spiral and there's something in all of us that's calling out for justice when will this be made right? I get it. I'm telling you it will be made right because there is a perfect judge who will execute a perfect justice. But the good news is judgment don't have to come your way because it always already went the way of Jesus. Jesus took the judgment so you wouldn't have to receive the justice. Jesus stood on the cross and he died in our place. And the only thing you have to do to make what he did for you yours it's found in Ephesians, what we just read. For by grace, you've been saved. For by grace. It's just simply a gift. And the way you access the gift of God's grace is just through faith. I just believe. I just choose to believe that there's a good God who can love me enough in spite of me to save me. I just believe. And so Noah found favor. He found grace. It's the same word. It's the same word. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't earn it. God just gave it to him. And when you read the story, again, the picture is not about how big the boat is. People want to argue about the boat. How big is the boat? How big is the cubit? Do you know there's like 27 different measurements in the ancient world for a cubit? And they're all different. But somehow, somewhere, somebody determined it's exactly this. And we built a replica up in Kentucky. Well, maybe that's the right size. Maybe it's not. The point of the story the point of the story is not the expanse of the water, but the expanse of God's grace. The point of the story is not how big the boat is, but how big our God is. That's the point of the story. If you read the story and shake your head at how a God in heaven could ever do anything like that and walk away and wonder, was it local or was it global? And walk away and debate how big the boat was, and you miss the point that God does judge sin, but he gives grace for sin, then you miss the point of the story. Come on, is anybody here thankful for a great God who gives great grace? (laughs) Jesus ultimately is the greater ark. He's the greater ark. The Old Testament—that's just a picture of a man getting on a boat. People all over this world every day. Some of you watching this—you can step onto the Ark of Jesus, which means you can step into a place where it's your protection and you can find you can find refuge from the judgment, because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. You've messed up and I've messed up. You've been immoral and I've been immoral. You have been unethical and I have been unethical. And we have done it all underneath the eyes of a perfect God who's seen our actions, who's seen our thoughts, who's seen the intent of our heart. And God cannot be perfect unless he judges. And so ultimately we have to understand something that everybody is underneath the judgment of God, but thankfully he sent his son Jesus so we don't have to receive the justice of God. I think this is important. If you're taking notes, if you don't embrace the judgment of God, you can't appreciate the grace of God. If you don't embrace the judgment of God, you can't appreciate the grace of God. See, if if you don't think you were really worthy of judgment and you don't think judgment is real, then it's very hard to celebrate grace. And this is a little bit off topic, but, you know, as a kid, you're, you're raised, come on, you're raised to be polite. Come on, please and thank you. That's the magic words. Come on, like, that's used race. Say thank you. Say please. Say, th- like, I was raised in a household. And so anytime my parents who did something for me, right, you just naturally say thank you. Everybody say thank you. It's a lost art in the culture we currently live. Please, can I have one of those, please? Thank you. But I was raised in that culture, raised in that kind of household, and I can remember as a kid opening Christmas presents or opening birthday presents, or just one of my parents doing something for me. And really, at the time, as a kid, what do you, you say? Thank. Well, thank you. Thank you. And while I was truly thankful as a kid. It wasn't until I became an adult myself and understood the level of sacrifice it takes as a parent to really provide for your kid, to really pull off a Christmas, to really get them the gift they wanted. You had to go and you had to stand in line 18 hours in the freezing cold, and you had to spend money that you needed probably to spend somewhere else, but you sacrificed so you can give your kids a good gift. It wasn't until I understood the sacrifice of a parent that I really valued the sacrifice of my parents. My thank you was real when I was a kid, but in context it became much more real. What I'm telling you is that the judgment of God is absolutely 100% real, and what you need to know is until you really appreciate that you are a sinner, you do deserve judgment. Until you understand that judgment is coming your way, you can't really appreciate that Jesus jumped in front of the bullet. He took the bullet for you. He died on the cross for your sin. You can't really give an appropriate thank you until you really understand the significance of the sacrifice, and that's what we have to understand. The point of the story is judgment is real, but so is grace. See, the story, the true story of Noah's Ark is it's not just about destruction, but it's about deliverance. It's not just about sin, but it's about salvation. And here's what you need to hear as we close. It's, it's going to happen again. I mean, people are like, well, what about the rainbow, pastor? Yeah, God's never going to flood the earth again, but God is going to judge the earth again. Maybe you've never heard this before. And again, maybe now you're leaning into the bad news, but there's good news behind it. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Luke chapter 17, says, When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. Let me just stop. Jesus recognized there was a literal Noah and a literal time that Noah lived, and there was a the literal event. So I'm not debating whether there was a flood, just so we're clear. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, Jesus said it, and I go with Jesus every time. So there was a flood. And he says this according to what he's looking back. He says, in those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. What Jesus is saying is that we are steadily moving as the collapse of society in this world happens, as we implode morally, morally. That there is a judgment coming the same way that that the wickedness of man reached this place, that it broke the boundaries of God's mercy and wrath came. That that time is coming again. But what Jesus is saying is, in the same way people just were, they they had no awareness. People had no awareness of their sin, and they had no awareness of a salvation. They had no idea judgment was coming, and they had no idea there was a ship. You say, well, could they have got on the ship? I don't know, could they have? There's a ship, there is an ark, his name is Jesus, that anybody anywhere at any time can get onto and escape the judgment that's coming. But unfortunately, we live just like in the days of Noah. We're just we're just unaware that our sin even matters. Everybody does. everybody, Everybody posts this stuff. Everybody does this on Snapchat. Everybody has this attitude. Everybody treats people like this. Everybody feels this way. Well, just because everybody does it, come on, listen. Listen, don't make me the dad that's standing. Where everybody jumped off the bridge, would you jump off too? It don't make it right. At some point, Christ followers have to check our heart. Are we honoring the one who died for us? And so judgment is coming, but that's not the story. The story is there's an ark. we don't deserve but came for us his name is Jesus so the story of Noah is not about water covering the earth but grace covering our sin so if you're watching this at home and maybe you've all you've heard was how awful God is to ever do it I want you to know that it's because he's a perfect judge he's gonna execute perfect justice But because because he's broken for us, his creation, that he loves, he made a way out. And you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus came that all of us could find forgiveness. All of us could find a way, could find a way where we're covered. And so as I close, and you've never said yes to Jesus, man, it's a great opportunity. If you're here, man, you've given your life to Christ, but maybe you're starting to lean back into a lifestyle where you're just becoming increasingly unaware of the life you're living that dishonors the God who who loves you. This is a great opportunity for you to just take a minute and just say, God, man, I give you that garbage. I give you those actions. I give you that habit. I give you that lifestyle. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to live a life that honors you. And so, Lord, I'm thankful that, God, there are big stories in the Bible Lord, help us not to get lost in the minutia of the details and argue points that don't matter. God, help us to lean into the big conversations that judgment is real, but so is salvation. And I pray in Jesus' name that everybody who is watching this can run into you and be found safe. So Jesus, forgive us of our sin. Wash us of our rebellion, and help us to trust you is our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.